Welcome to Insights with Sights, the symphony of scripture, a weekly podcast exploring the themes and contours of the weekly scripture readings. For more information about the podcast or to download the companion notes, please visit www.wickliffcollege.ca/podcast. We now join our host, the Reverend Dr. Christopher Seitz. We arrive this Sunday at the last set of readings before Pentecost, those chosen for the final seventh Sunday of the Easter season. In each of the three different lectionary years, we find portions of John 17 being read for this final Sunday from what is often called Jesus' high priestly prayer selected for the final gospel reading of the Easter season. A portion from 1 John, as we have been following it, is the epistle reading and the psalm chosen for complementing the other readings is Psalm 1. We've been noting the forward movement through selections of acts chosen for the Easter season, and today we reverse direction and find ourselves right at the start in chapter 1, anticipating Pentecost. In the verse that precedes our reading, we're given a precise listing by name of the apostles who remain praying in Jerusalem after the ascension of the Lord together with Mary and the male relatives of Jesus. Counting, we see, of course, that 11 is now their number. Our reading picks up at this point with a decision to elect a replacement for Judas. The point is being made both in this portion of Acts and in the Gospel reading that Jesus had chosen 12 and lost not one of them. While I was with them, I kept them in thy name, which thou hast given me. I guarded them, and none of them is lost but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Jesus underscores this point of having chosen twelve and not lost them at several points in John's gospel. Judas was allotted a place with the others, as Peter stresses in today's reading. And Jesus did not lose him. He forfeited his place. So that place is to be filled with one who, like them, all had accompanied him right from the beginning. This is made even clearer in the Psalms Peter refers to. And if the verses were not left out, that is, verses 18 to 20 of the first chapter of Acts, we would see the clear references to two psalms, 69 and 109. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his habitation become desolate and let there be no one to live in it. 
and his office let another take. Verses again from Psalm 69 and Psalm 109. The scriptures being fulfilled. Judas had a place, an office, and he gave it up by his own choice. So it will be filled with another, and the special number 12, like the 12 tribes of Israel, is to be preserved. Here is one of the places where the lectionary has decided to omit verses from a reading, these key three verses, presumably because they are too harsh in tone in this instance. I've read the milder part about the scriptures being quoted. And instead of using Psalm 109 or Psalm 69, referred to by Peter as fulfilled scripture, as our reading for today, we have instead the opening psalm of the Psalter, Psalm 1. The psalms quoted in the missing verses, Psalm 69 and 109, have traditionally been referred to as two of the imprecatory psalms of the Psalter, in which God is called upon to bring down curses upon the wicked and end their assaults against the righteous. Both John and Acts seek to make it clear that the threat from Judas and his ultimate fate were both fully in God's hands. What happened to him was consistent with the scriptures. The righteous come under severe assault in this life, are betrayed, are physically attacked, and are mocked for their faith. The Psalms in particular testify to this. And they give space for the righteous sufferer to speak forth to God a cry for vindication and restoration and to put the betrayer and the evil in God's capable hands. Judas was not on this account a mistake. He was one of the twelve who God chose alongside all the others. He's never described in any way but as fully one of the twelve like unto them in being chosen by God, as we heard in John's Gospel last week, you did not choose me, but I chose you. None of the others, the eleven, are morally superior, and all fled Jesus and denied him in various ways. They were not chosen as moral exemplars, but rather as those capable of testifying to Jesus on account of their presence with him from the very beginning. So the allotment given to Judas, which he surrendered, is given to another who, like the eleven, were always present with him from the beginning. As two are capable of fulfilling this role, they pray. Do the eleven and those with them, and they put the matter in God's hands. The lots are not a means of picking Matthias and rejecting the other candidate but rather of confirming the choice that God will have made in response to their prayers. Just as the righteous sufferer puts the fate of the wicked in God's hands, so the apostles put the righteous replacement to be alongside the eleven in God's hands as well. They pray to him. On the face of it, 
it's clear that hearing psalms of imprecation in church will require a significant and profound understanding of the context and of just what is going on in these psalms. That's, of course, because very few of us suffer for our faith in the ways being described in the psalms, and rare among us are those who can claim to experience what the psalmist describes. Insults have broken my heart so that I am in despair. I looked for pity, but there was none, and for comforters, but I found none. They gave me poison for food, and for my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. So Psalm 69 quoted at several points in the Gospels. And from Psalm 109, For wicked and deceitful mouths are opened against me, speaking against me with lying tongues. They beset me with words of hate and attack me without cause. In return for my love, they accuse me, even as I make prayer for them. So they reward me evil for good and hatred for my love. So Psalm 109. Yet, of course, the Savior of the world did experience just these experiences and in final consummate fashion. He is no stranger to what is being described in these psalms. And our hopes are placed in him. In him, not in a calculus of righteous payback as we would reflect from afar on the propriety of the cries of the afflicted, which in the Psalter are cries for God's sake, for God's very self, and for a righteousness with a face, indeed the face of Jesus Christ the righteous, dying, forgiving, and rising again. The place given to Judas he forfeited, and it is not for us to plumb fully how God means eternally to deal with that. But his place as an apostle in this life is given to another and not marked as a tragic void. The scriptures are fulfilled. No balanced scales in the sky are brought into cozy alliance, but instead the plans of Jesus for his witnesses in this life are made complete in spite of all attacks on him and on those he is keeping in his name, as John 17 has it. And though Psalm 1 may appear to be a more anodyne, a less blunt account of what God's character as just means, when it confronts the conduct and plans of men and women in this life, it is fully consistent with the main contours of both Psalms 69 and 109 not read for today. In the mystery of his sovereign will, the wicked heart delights not in him and not in the law of God, the night and day calling to him and the planting of the righteous 
inside his very heart and name. But in shunning these is left to blow away like chaff on the wind. And we might hope that all this be so for those parts of us that walk, linger, and sit down where God's name is absent. Were it not for God's protect, protecting us in his name, the work undertaken by Jesus himself, the only righteous one, we would have no place to stand in his righteousness. The gospel for the day drives the point home. Jesus protects us in the name that is God's personal name, the Lord. I am who I am. And as such, we are guarded and kept fully in God himself and at the heart of all he is as righteous and holy. That constitutes our planting in streams of water. The hope of our prospering, as Psalm 1 puts it, and our bearing fruit, as Jesus, the true vine, put it last week, consistent with Psalm 1. Those who do not believe in God are in forfeiture, as 1 John puts it, because not believing in his testimony is absenting the soul and self from the eternal things of God. While the Psalms referred to by Peter may be harsh in tone and are surely difficult to have placed on lips which do not know extreme suffering and affliction as Christians or as Israel, this makes their message no less true. In this manner, they also warn us by testifying to a fate of being cast away when we lose our place of planting and flourishing in Christ. He has come to protect us in the name God has given to him. He does not leave us defenseless. But as his final act of love in John 17, before laying down his life for his friends, for his own sheep, Jesus takes the time to pray to God and to bring us fully within earshot alongside the gathered apostles. In this manner, we are like Matthias, given a place, an allotment, to stand alongside them and to receive his promises that he will protect us in God's very name. Let me end then with the last lines of our Easter epistle reading. And this is the testimony. God gave us eternal life, and this is life in his name. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal planted and flourishing life in him. We hope you enjoyed Insights with Sights, the symphony of scripture. For archived episodes and notes, please visit www.wickliffecollege.ca slash podcast. Thank you.
and we hope you tune in again. This podcast is a ministry of Wycliffe College at the University of Toronto.